the outset of my comments this morning, I want to take a moment to welcome to St. Francis Cabrini, seminarian Zachary Galante. Many of you know Zachary. He is a parishioner here at St. Francis Cabrini, and he's been in seminary formation now for several years. In four weeks, he'll be ordained to the transitional diaconate at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. We have a pretty sizable group of parishioners who are gonna actually go to Rome uh, to be there for his ordination. Zachary, it's good to have you at Mass this morning. As I reflect upon your vocation, I certainly can see how it is one of the fruits of the parishioners' devotion and fidelity here at St. Francis Cabrini. It takes a whole parish to produce vocations, and so I thank you for your devotion, and I encourage you to continue supporting Zachary as he is ordained to the transitional diaconate, and then next spring to the priesthood here in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. In the Gospel today, Jesus says, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. A question I would like us to ask ourselves today is, why are you Catholic? You might initially respond and say, well, I'm Catholic because I was born and raised Catholic. I can't imagine being anything other than being Catholic. I too am a cradle Catholic, and so I can appreciate what a great blessing it is to be raised in the Catholic Church. But if the only reason that we are Catholic is because we were born into a Catholic family, our faith is rather shaky and unstable. There has to be more to it than that because there are a lot of things that we do when we are young that we give up later in life. So I ask you again, why are you Catholic? You might respond by saying, well, I've seen a, one, a lot of wonderful things the Catholic Church has done throughout history, how the Church has cared for the poor and the marginalized, how the Church has founded orphanages and schools and hospitals, how the Church has inspired and sponsored great works of art and architecture, that's a decent answer, but if you really think about it, there are a lot of other people and other institutions that have done these things as well. There are many nonprofits and NGOs and secular philanthropists who've done all of these things. So perhaps that's not the best answer either. So why are you Catholic? You might respond by saying, well, look, I've heard a lot of very inspiring homilies in the Catholic Church, and I've experienced some beautiful liturgies. That might be true, but I would wager that you've also, if honest, you will also admit that you've heard some uninspiring homilies and have experienced some very poor liturgies as well. So why are you Catholic? Perhaps the best answer is also the most simple. I am Catholic because Jesus Christ founded the Catholic Church. Jesus Christ founded the Catholic Church historically 2,000 years ago, and he promised to remain with his church throughout the centuries until he would come again. If you want a little fun with this, you can ask your phone who founded various churches. So you might ask your phone who founded the Presbyterian Church, and it will tell you John Knox founded the Presbyterian Church. You can ask it, who founded the Methodist Church? And it will tell you, John Wesley founded the Methodist Church. Who founded the Lutheran Church? Martin Luther founded the Lutheran Church. Then if you ask Siri, who founded the Catholic Church? 
As you might expect, it will tell you Jesus Christ founded the Catholic Church. A good reason to be Catholic is because Jesus himself founded a church here on earth. And this church that he founded is both visible and invisible. In the gospel today, we see both of these dimensions of the church on display. Let's take a moment to look at the visible nature of the church. Jesus tells Peter today that he is the rock, and he promises to build a church on Peter as the rock. Then he gives Peter the authority to govern the church, telling him, you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Every pope after St. Peter has had this authority given to him to govern the church and to oversee many visible elements of the church, such as the church's ceremonies and rituals and sacraments and material goods. Jesus did not only found a spiritual reality in founding the church, he also founded a visible one. And this is a very good thing, because by being a member of this visible church, we know that we are in the church Christ founded, and we know that we have doctrinal orthodoxy, that we have right worship, ultimately that we are in the mystical body of Christ which is ordering us toward eternal life. So being part of this visible church gives us great security in this life, assuring us that we are on the right track. We indeed need the visible church. But the visible church is not like a lot of other big visible institutions that have come and gone in history. There's more to it than only what meets the eye. You might think of how there have been so many powerful empires and institutions that have come and gone in history. Take a few examples. Think of in the ancient world how the Persian Empire was super powerful. Nobody could contend with the Persians, but then the 7th century BC, the Ottomans destroyed them. Or think of the Roman Empire, which obviously was vast, had conquered many, many other empires and tribes, People thought the Roman Empire would last forever, but then because of its own moral decadence and barbarian invasions, it folded in the year 476 AD. Or think of the Byzantine Empire centered in Constantinople, which was a powerhouse for a long time. That too, people thought would last forever, but then in the beginning of the 15th century, it was overtaken and it fell. So the point of this is that there are many great empires, many great visible institutions and governments and nations that have come and gone. The church, 2,000 years after it was founded, is still here. So there must be more to it than simply what we can see. There's a great story that emphasizes the spiritual nature of the church. It goes back to the beginning of the 19th century. In the year 1809, Napoleon and his troops invaded Italy, and they actually took the Pope as a prisoner. What ensued was a conversation between Napoleon and the Pope at the time, who was Pius IX. No, he wasn't. Pius VII. And in this conversation, Napoleon told the Pope that he was going to destroy the church. He saw the church as his final opponent, and he had to take it down. 
so he intently told the Pope, I am planning to destroy the church. The Pope seemed entirely unfazed and unafraid, and this kind of bothered Napoleon because he was hoping to get a rise out of the Pope and shake him up a little bit. And so he told him again, adamantly, I am going to destroy the church. I want to do it, and I have the power to do it. To this, the Pope said, if we bishops have not destroyed the church in the past 1,800 years, there is no way you ever are going to destroy the church. The story reminds us that there is more to the church than what we see. God is guiding and inspiring the church as the church, the bark of Christ, makes its way through the rough waters of the world and history. The gospel today also emphasizes the invisible nature of the church. In the gospel, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? All sorts of responses come in, and they are all wrong. Then Jesus looks to them and he says, but who do you say that the Son of Man is? To this, St. Peter responds by saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. How did St. Peter respond correctly? Did he respond correctly because he was the smartest? If you read the Gospels closely, it does not show Peter to be the smartest. Did he respond correctly because he was the holiest? The Gospels also don't show Peter to be the holiest. Then how did he know who Jesus was? Our Lord himself tells us when he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. St. Peter responded correctly because he was divinely inspired. God worked through him and gave him the correct answer. And God has continued to work through the church for 2,000 years. We often speak about the church as being animated by the Holy Spirit. That's why we sometimes speak of Pentecost as the birthday of the church. It is the Holy Spirit that is the life force of the church that makes it a vital reality in the world and that continues to move the church through the centuries. It is the Holy Spirit that works through the sacraments. It is the Holy Spirit moving within the church that unites the church in heaven, in purgatory, and on earth. So there is much more to the church than we see with our eyes. God is moving through the Catholic Church. It's a wonderful story about St. Francis of Assisi. He was praying before the crucifix, and he heard Jesus tell him, Francis, rebuild my church. You may be familiar with this story. What did Francis do when he heard those words spoken to him by the Lord from the cross? Well, he immediately went out and practically tried to rebuild churches that were falling into disrepair by putting stone upon stone. But then Jesus explained to him, this is not what he meant when he said, rebuild my church. Rather, he wanted Francis to reform the church, to revitalize the church from within. And he wanted Francis to do this not through any great efforts, but rather by simply living a holy life by living gospel simplicity and radicality, through that holiness of life, Francis would rebuild the spiritual nature of the church. So the church that Christ founded is both visible and it is invisible. There are a lot of people today that have a hard time with the visible dimension of the church. 
As you know, many people today proudly proclaim to be spiritual but not religious. What this shows is that a lot of people are uncomfortable with a church that is visible, a church that has an institution moving it along and structuring it. What this shows is that people want something that is more simply interior, something that is a little more subjective. If you believe in an institutional church that is structured, it's going to be structured by people in authority. It's going to be structured by laws and commandments. A lot of people today don't like these sorts of things, and so they opt for a spiritual sort of religion. But if you press the question a little bit, you'll realize that there is a different spiritual religion for every single person who claims to be spiritual but not religious. Who is the one who decides what is right and what is wrong? Who is the one who decides what to believe and what not to believe? Well, the person who has created this spiritual but not religious church. So there is no authority that is responded to. And because there is no authority, there is also no assurance that that sort of spiritual but not religious church is in any way connected to the church that Jesus founded. Jesus founded more than just a spiritual church. He also founded a visible one. But I realize it is hard at times to really trust the visible church. At times, we are all frustrated with the visible church. At times, I am very frustrated with the invisible church. There are priests who maybe haven't treated you well. There are bishops who disappoint you. There are synods that confuse you. There are all sorts of things in the visible church that at times really bother us. But notwithstanding the many imperfections of the visible church, we must still believe that Christ who founded this church is active within it. Christ who founded this church is continuing to inspire faith, hope, and love in the hearts of Catholics. And in that, we see the assurance that Christ will remain with his church until the end of time. When I speak about this visible and invisible nature of the church, I often think about what St. Paul spoke about to the Corinthians when he said, we hold these treasures in earthen vessels. In some ways, the earthen vessels are the visible elements of the church, and they are broken and imperfect. I am a priest, so I am one of them. Every day I encounter my own shortcomings, my own imperfections, and my own sins. And yet, I do believe that despite my brokenness, God continues to work through me to bring you the sacraments, to bring you his real presence in the Eucharist, to bring you his forgiveness in the sacrament of confession, to bring you his healing and sanctifying grace. That is the treasure that Christ promises all of us as Catholics. At times, the treasure is communicated to us in a really broken vessel, an earthen vessel that we might not even like very much. But he continues to work through that vessel because he has promised us that he would, and we must take Christ at his word. Friends, it is a great gift to us that Jesus has given us a church as broken as it is at times. It is a great gift to us because it assures us that we are in the right place, that we are on the track to eternal life. And so let us ground ourselves as deeply in the church as we can, in her worship, in her doctrine, in her works of charity, and let us thank God that he has given us his mystical body to be a part of, 
that we might, we might be assured that we are on the path to eternal life.